and welcome everybody to the Things Christians Want to Know podcast with Paul Anderson. Hello, Paul Anderson. Hello, Viking fan. Viking fan. I'm wearing my Viking shirt. <laughs> God's team. Um, and I'm Nate Johnstone, by the way, who just made a slight blasphemy about football. Um, obviously, the Vikings are not God's team. He doesn't have a favorite team. And this is near an election, so I could go right into a segue. Ooh. And it was in my head, and I'm like, ooh, ooh I could segue right into... You know, God is not a Whig or a Tory or a Republican or a Democrat. Um, but let's not do that. Let's not. Let's, let's leave let's. that alone. And instead, because we have, a, we have a more important topic, actually, and it's hard for some people to believe right now that there could be a more important topic than politics mm-hmm. or a more important topic than human leaders and human government. But there is, and that is... A great move of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God. There are many in these days who are putting their trust in politics and putting their trust in men and putting their trust in government. And don't get me wrong, good government is important and we should fight for it. Absolutely. But that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something different. And if we want to see this country change, Paul and I believe that that change is not going to primarily come through elected officials and through politics. It's going to come through a move of the Spirit of God. And that is what has happened in the past in our country. At some point in the series, we may talk about the great awakenings that we've experienced in the past and how much they radically changed this country. We're still reaping the benefits of the changes that came from those, right. from those long events. And that is, I believe, what we need now. I do not believe the country will be saved or destroyed based on what ends up hashing out come January when they inaugurate the next president. I think that what's going to cause that change is a move of God. And that's what I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. <laughs> um, and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why we believe not only that we should seek out and ask for and pray for a great move of God, but we believe it's coming. And we believe it's coming now, maybe even already started. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks. We're going to look at some biblical examples, some historical examples. Um, a lot of people use the word revival to talk, to discuss, and to explain uh, what this topic is about. I tend to shy away from the word revival because it does have a lot of baggage for a lot of people. Revival means some things to some people, and and. As a teacher, <laughs> I want people to understand what I'm saying, right? And so I tend to shy away from words like revival. Often when I preach on prophecy, I don't even use the word prophecy because, again, that word for some people has a lot of baggage. And if you have a misunderstanding of what a word means, if someone else uses it, it's no longer helpful because you're automatically misunderstanding them. So I'm not going to say revival as much as I'm going to say other things like a great move of God or what I'm really praying for, which is a great awakening another great awakening to take place. Um, But a lot of the stuff we're talking about, maybe you would understand it by using the word revival, and that's okay. It's not a bad word. I'm not trying to cancel uh, the word revival. I'm just saying um, we're going to talk about these things in a a bit broader terms. Paul, Paul, what what do you think? Yes, I'm with you, and you're with me, and we're we're looking together. In fact, we've got something coming up real soon. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're believing as we step through that God's going to do something very special. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was about time. 
because we've been praying. As you know, I've been praying since December, early December 2014, when Diane Brask brought a young Ugandan over to the house. She asked if I had time, and I said no. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I'd really like to bring this guy over. And I said, how about 30 minutes? I don't usually do that, but I uh, did. And 30 minutes was all it took for him to gently, he wasn't trying to convict me, but God used <clears throat> what he was doing in our country mm -hmm. to, to bring me to a new place about revival. And the reason I didn't pray for revival is that when, as a young man, I heard people in my dad's church pray for revival, it appeared to me, I, I may be wrong, but it appeared to me that they were delegating it to God and that they were saying, you do it. Of course, we're not going to have anything to do with it, but, but you do the revival thing. And the thing that has blessed me, Nate, in these last years as I've prayed for it is 1 Corinthians 3, 9, where it says that we are God's co-workers. Mm -hmm. And what the truth that comes out of that for me is that we cannot bring revival without God, and God will not bring revival, awakening, whatever we're just going to call it. He will not bring it without us, mm -hmm. which, which helps me to understand the Jonah story. Why did he keep after him? Because God uses a human voice to bring the message, yep. and then he, of course, brings the, uh, brings the conviction, the Holy Spirit conviction. But I love, I love, you get it what I mean? I love <laughs> Sounds like you love it. This this connection with the living God who provides the power, we provide the voice, maybe the hands that reach out to people. Mm -hmm. And Nate, I believe one day and it may be Saturday as we reach out our hands, things are going to happen like mm -hmm. they like we've wanted them to. Yeah. Like they haven't. Been. I agree and I I'm praying for that and I hope if you're listening, that you are praying for these kind of things too. And if you're not, I encourage you to listen to this series because you might get sparked. And if you do get sparked, send me your email because I've got more stuff to send you about what we are doing if you happen to be in the area. And if you're yep. not, I'll give it to you anyway. Yeah, exactly. We love sending <laughs> stuff out and connecting people together, especially through prayer. You know, one of the yes. great things about God is... There is no physical distance in God, especially these days that's important as we need to stay physically distanced from each other. Um, a lot of people aren't attending in-person ser church services as often as they were and that sort of thing, especially if you're in an area where numbers are really increasing like we are right now. Um, it's nice to know that, that those sort of things don't matter to God. He is in no way hindered by distance. And so we can come together from all over the country, all over the world, Mm -hmm. and agree on things in the spirit and see them happen. And that's an incredible thing. That is a, that is a cool, practically sci-fi level thing that, yeah. that we have access to, which I think is really, really awesome. And so we are praying for, believing for. Absolutely believing for. A great move of God yes. to begin to happen uh, very, very soon. And we are careful about not saying exactly what it will look like or what it will be because we don't know. Uh, I have spent a lot of time, Paul has spent time studying historical instances of 
awakenings, revivals, other moves of God that have happened. And we can learn from history. And I, I for one, am always very encouraged by history. You're a student of history. Nate. I am. I am a student of history. I always have been. And I, I am very encouraged when I read that there are times in our country where things were really bad, really, really bad, like they are now. Yeah. And in those times, God, I don't know how else to say it, showed up. Yeah. In a powerful way. Yeah. It's not that he wasn't already here. Um, so that, and the theologian in me now is, is trying, trying to explain it more. But we're not saying God wasn't already here. But we're saying is the power of his spirit, the, maybe the magnitude of his glory, something happened historically in our country over many different times. And not just our country, everywhere. Absolutely every country has stories of revival. The Bible has stories of Revival, awakening, great moves of God that were uniquely powerful and uniquely successful, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, in the Hebrides revival in Scotland, which I think we talked about um, a year ago when we talked about this subject, um, there was a point at which, and when the revival first began, that it was three or four in the morning and everybody in the villages were woken up in the middle of the night in their mm -hmm. sleep. Mm -hmm. And they got on their knees and started repenting, independent of one another, all over, different villages, different places, farmers out in the middle of nowhere. A lot of them went outside into their fields and threw themselves on the ground before the Lord. And someone who was walking at that time at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., they saw lights on all around. Yeah. And they wondered what was going on. And so that is a unique, yeah. bordering on bizarre, except that it's so wonderful, yeah. God bringing conviction to people and bringing hope to people who may have lost their hope to remind them, whoa, 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 this is not a religion. I'm real. I am a real God who does real stuff and has a real impact in your life and in your world. This is not just about belief. This is real stuff. And, and some people now in America need to be reminded of that. And I would like to point out that conviction is God's territory. Mm -hmm. As a young man, there was a season when I thought it was up to me to convict the people. Of sin. <clears throat> yes, and so I would go after that in a way that wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I, I must have read uh, in uh, John where Jesus said, he, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin <clears throat> and righteousness and judgment. It's my desire to convince, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But convince and convict are two different things. Yes. Conviction comes by the Holy Spirit. And that's good to know. It's good to know for those of you who are preaching and for those of you who are praying for people that it's not your job to convict people. You can continue to love them, continue to care for them, even in their sin, even in their desperation. And God will use you to connect them to a powerful Holy Spirit and a living, loving Father. Absolutely. I think this is, this is such an important part um, for all of us because one of the hallmarks of revival is conviction of sin. Now, people usually yes. use the term revival because it means to bring life back in. And that's often in reference to the church or to Christians. They have life, but they sort of 
they grew old, they grew weary, things grew dry, and that describes the church today, in my opinion, um, in America. And, and it needs to be revived, breathe life back into it again. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, and I don't want to say the next step in terms of like time-wise, um, but beyond that, also in, involved in these things that we're discussing is a widespread conviction of sin that results in prodigals coming home in droves and new converts to Jesus yeah. in droves. The kind of things we, you see from Acts 2 forward, that is what we're talking about. And it doesn't have to be a massive rally. Those happen. Peter did that. Um, it happened a number of times in Acts where they had huge massive rallies and thousands of people came to Jesus at the same time. And we'll see that for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's also one-on-one -on -one individuals, families, that sort of thing, interacting with one another. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit falls on people, usually through someone else. Mm -hmm. But that the big warning here, or, or caution, I guess I would say, is what you said, Paul. And that is that to remember that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. God does the work. God mm -hmm. saves. God convicts of sin. We don't do those things. We, we can't. And the temptation is, if it's not working, for us to try harder and push on people to get them to realize how much of a sinner they are and how much they need Jesus. If you just gave your life to the Lord, it would be so much better. Well, I don't feel like I need to. And then we start pressing and pressing and trying to convict people of sin. Mm -hmm. And it turns into legalism. Oftentimes it turns into yucky <laughs> Yucky preaching. And yeah. I have seen some of that. I've seen some of that at meetings, you know, especially growing up, different revival meetings and stuff like that. There was, uh, there were some revival, like geographical revival things happening in Toronto uh, when I was growing up in, in the church in my like teenage years and some uh, down in like the Brownsville, Pensacola area in Florida um, and then eventually in England and Australia, which I didn't know was happening at the time. I found out later. But God was doing a lot of things in specific areas. And so people who were hungry for God would go to those places, hoping to like catch on fire from, from the fire that happened there. You know, fire is a metaphor often used with the Holy Spirit, both in the Bible and nowadays. So people would come back and sometimes it would be great and it would be genuine and it would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. And other times they wouldn't see the results they wanted to see. So they pushed harder. Yeah. And it went from being something of the spirit to being something of the flesh, something of human will and human desire. And for some reason, even as a kid, I could smell that. Hmm. Um, maybe it just has something to do with the fact that God wired me as a teacher with like a prophetic bent. And I didn't know I was that at the time, but, but just my wiring, like when people would push too hard or it would slip from being something of the spirit to something of themselves, I would get this gross feeling and I'd be like, no, this is now, this has now gone bad. Good for you. And sometimes it was obvious because people would say horrible things. If you don't get on your knees now and repent, you might not get another chance. You might get hit by a car in your way home. This is it for you. Like they would, they would yell. They'd point fingers in people's faces. They'd intimidate them physically and emotionally. That's no good. No, horrible. I was at Luther Seminary when I heard of what was happening at a college in Kentucky. And the one thing that uh, responds to, to your concern there is that the dean who was going to give a teaching just decided instead to give his testimony. Mm. It wasn't flamboyant. It was pretty quiet. 
And then he sat down and he just said, the mic is open. That's how much he pressured the kids. Yeah. And because the Spirit of God was moving, it was moving around the country at this time among young adults, powerful among young adults, mm -hmm. the Jesus People Movement. People knew it was time for them to go. And yeah. when they went, they were primarily confessing their sins, which is not an easy thing to get up in front of your student body. You live with those kids yep. and to start confessing sins. And they did it all day long. They did it into the night. It was still, chapel was still going on at midnight because the dean, he called the president in Calgary and he, could, he didn't get him. And so he left a message and the message said urgent. And because- You don't know what to do. Chapel yeah, won't end. <laughs> there, were, um, there were lockdowns, lock-ins lock and lock-outs happening. They were crazy. Across the country. Around yeah. the country. With young adults, with the college kids, they were doing crazy, stupid things. So the president was uh, real concerned. He called back, what's going on? And the dean said, it's about chapel. This was midnight. And he said, it's still going on. That's the, that's the spirit <laughs> of God. I would love to have heard the dean. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> chapel is supposed to end at 10 a.m. You know? Oh, man. Um, he, he snuck back when he, he came back and he wanted to see what was going on. He got back, I think the next day or the day after, late at night, 11 o'clock, and he just sat up in the balcony and he thought he would be alone. And a student saw him and went over and uh, asked him to pray for him. Yeah, confessed to, to yeah. the dean, right? And yeah. he got to pray for the, the student. The president, this is the president. The president, yeah, yeah. and he got to, to pray for the student. and. I think that won him over probably. Oh, it, to see it the is. genuine, genuine repentance and heartfelt so desire wonderful. to get closer to God. Yeah. You see, when you see that happen as a leader, whatever kind of leader you are, uh, when you see it happen, you, you want it to happen more. Right? Yeah. I, I like that story of Asbury College because it really does give a great example of the opposite of what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Some of my experiences and your, I'm, we, I'm sure we've all, many of you listeners have had experiences where things weren't done well. <laughs> things yeah. were emotional or very manipulative maybe, um, or even intimidating, but they did it the opposite way at Asbury. They did two great, great leadership moves. Mm -hmm. One was the, the level of faith of the guy who started it out, who just got up, confessed and said, I'm going to leave this open if anybody else wants to and sat down. The level of faith that that takes is incredible. It's monumental. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I've led services for, you know, 25 years or whatever. Like I started leading services as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And when you're in charge and you're like, I'm going to do something totally different when everyone is expecting, this is not the way you do it. What are you doing? This is wrong. Like, mm -hmm. People are going to not like this. You're going to get heat. So you're risking a lot personally to get up there and do something like that. So the level of faith and the level of being willing to take a risk for God, I think that's point number one that they got right. Mm -hmm. And I have heard this over and over and over again in stories of revival. I've seen it over again in my life when God has moved powerfully in certain instances it almost, it always involves going out on a limb mm -hmm. to follow what you hear God saying, which means prior to that, you need to listen for what God is saying, right? You need to listen to him and then you need to hear it and then you need to have the guts to do it. And that is not easy. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah. I, I tried that at a high school. Um, we, we had a high school event and I, instead of doing my talk, I asked if anybody had anything they wanted to share. And one person shared and another person shared and it ended up going on for about 90 minutes. Oh, and good. I didn't end up doing either of my talks. I had some cool stuff planned and I canned it all. I remember that. I canned it all because God was moving and all these seniors started saying, this is what I wish I had done when I was, a, started doing when I was a freshman. And so I encourage you freshmen to give up this stupid worldly stuff and follow after Jesus. And it was, it was powerful. It was, it was more impactful for the kids who were there than anything I could have possibly said for one thing. But also it gave them ownership and it gave them sense that they are a part of something that God is doing right now in the moment in the room. Turn that into a prayer. And that's, that's really important. So we want to see more and more of this. Mm. Um, and I think the, just quickly, the second thing that they did at Asbury that was so good is that they didn't stop it. That's right. They didn't shut it down. In fact, they shut down school for three yes. weeks. Yes. So it started out with guts. It started out with a really gutsy move of faith. And it continued with a really gutsy move of faith. Because they could have simply said, wow, that was neat. Four people came up and shared. That's a different kind of chapel. That could have been really cool. But it's time to stop now and go back to class. And so they could have gone up and stopped it. And they did not. They let it keep going and keep going because they kept listening to God. They didn't assume that the same old way to do it was the right way. They didn't assume that they knew what was going on. They, they rec recognized, they rightly discerned the Spirit of God is doing something right now. Maybe we shouldn't get in his way. And that is the right attitude. That's a good thought. In a, in a revival setting, in a Holy Spirit setting, the biggest danger a leader can do is get in God's way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to focus on listening. What should we do, God? And don't be afraid if, if things get a little messy or a little different than you're used to. Mm -hmm. But it, you, as a leader, can stifle the Holy Spirit and what's going on. Because they could at Asbury, they could have stood up and said, Okay, we're done. Go back to class. That might have been it. Maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe students would have refused to leave, but I doubt it, you know? Mm -hmm. So the fact that it was nurtured by wise leaders who were listening to God, I think that's why it was such a success. And that, really, that really drives home the point you were sharing before, Paul, from the Bible, which is that we are co-laborers with God. Mm -hmm. We ask God for it. God's the one who does it. And then we help to nurture it when he does do it, when he does start moving on people's lives. We try to nurture it, help provide banks for the river to flow in. That's a phrase I've heard you use before. I think Larry Christensen used that phrase as well. Um, and those are the things that we can do. And that's the difference between, I think, leading well in things like this and leading poorly in things like this. Mm -hmm. We want to lead well. <laughs> and, and we want to see other people do that too. So, yeah, let's end in prayer, and then we are going to continue this series. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about, um, some specifics as to why we believe a great move of God is on the horizon or, or we're already in it, uh, and uh, what that might mean for the church at large, what it might mean for you personally. And so we're going to get into those things in the next couple of weeks, but let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who sees when things are not going well and sees when we're in distress. And... You are a savior and you desire to save us. Lord, America needs saving right now. Things are not good. Things are scary. Things are violent. Things are divided. There's a, there's a lot of ways we could describe America right now, and few of them are positive. Few of them are good. 
And so we are expecting you to break in and to move in power in your spirit because that's what you do. We need saving and you're a savior. And so we are going to go out on a limb and we're going to put you on in the spotlight and say, Lord, you need to show up and do something. We need you to move. We need a powerful wave of your spirit to wash over this whole country and preferably then stay and keep us saturated. And that's not something that we can do. We can't manufacture it. We can't invent it. And so we wait on you and we thank you for what you're going to do. And we ask that while we're waiting for it to happen on a macro scale, on a big scale, a countrywide scale, that you would do it on an individual level. That's not something we need to wait for. Individually, everyone listening right now can pray and ask the Lord to set their heart more on fire for God. And I encourage you to do that. Lord, set my heart on fire for you. Think back to the days in your life where you were the most excited about God, where you felt the most alive in your relationship with God. God wants to bring that back to you now. Not to take you backward, to take you forward, but to revive that life in your heart again. But now that you're more mature, it'll be an even mature, more mature level. And you can ask that. And you can seek for that. And if I were you listening to this podcast right now, I would not give God any rest until you find yourself in revival, personally. Give him no rest. Give up whatever you need to give up. Put everything up on the altar. Rededicate and redevote yourself to him. And keep knocking at that door and keep pressing in until he opens the door and lets you walk into a new phase of reality and power in the spirit. That's a Bible verse, by the way. Give me no rest until I do what I said I was going to do. So Lord, we do that and we're going to keep doing that and we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep pressing in until we see you move and we ask all of this in humility. It's for your glory and not for ours, but we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.